Welcome to Contingency FM. Uh, today we have joining us, we've got myself, Bill and... Jossie, hiya. Uh, and we've got joining us uh, Mark Carpenter. Hi. You introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, so I'm Mark Carpenter, I'm one of the intensive care consultants here in Sunderland and I've just been appointed uh, sub-dean for the Weir Base Unit. Ah, congratulations. Thank you. Um, and uh, so today we just want to have a chat to you a bit about your role in ITU and uh, so we're going to get a bit of an idea of, sort of what you enjoy about it, what you find difficult um, and some advice for any juniors who might be rotating into that specialty. So Mark, w- w- would you rather fight a hundred dog-sized horses or one horse-sized dog? Definitely the dog on the basis that I'm very scared of horses. Really? Absolutely, petrified of them. That is an unexpected answer because when we've talked about this we were thinking the, the, the horse-sized dog would probably eat you straight away but then like, like the, the uh, dog-sized horses would mob you but you could probably keep them away but that's... Uh, no, horses terrify me. Really? Absolutely terrify me. Is that no way I'm going to... I don't know, not, I don't know why. Not uh, had like a traumatic no, no, no traumatic memories, just terrified by them. So uh, oh. no, no, never got any of them. They, they scare me a little bit. And too, all farm animals do. I'm, so, I'm too much of a city girl. It's because you're born, <laughs> born like 100 miles from a farm. Yeah. Um, fair enough. I have to walk through fields with cows or horses and I keep to the edges as much as I possibly can. I once got attacked by a cow. Um, on my DOV, but um, that's a story for another time. I'll save that one. Um, so, um, what was your route into ITU? So, how did you get there? So, um, yeah, so I, I'm, I've been an intensive care consultant since 2004, um, and I spent 13 years uh, getting there uh, during, during the days when uh, doing a bit of faffing in medical training was, was the norm rather than the mm. unusual thing. So I, my route to intensive care was via um, medical training, first of all, mm. um, followed by anaesthetics after that. Mm. Um, and then um, I was dual trained in anaesthesia and critical care um, and then uh, did that for a few years. And now I only do intensive care clinically. I don't do any anaesthetic right. sessions. And was that something you always knew you wanted to do or was it kind of something you more stumbled into? Uh, stumbled, really, I think would be fair to say. Mm. So I, I, I trained in medicine. I was going to be a physician. That was the plan. Um, I did SHO jobs in the northeast, um, and then did a registrar job in uh, Leicester for two and a half years, um, and then decided it wasn't for me. Um, I looked at what the bosses were doing, which I think is an advice I'd give to anybody: mm. is not to look at what you do as a trainee, but to look at what the boss does. Mm. And I looked at what the bosses were doing, and it wasn't what I wanted to do. Mm. So I wanted to do something where I was actively doing things when I was clinical, mm. um, rather than really directing people I could actually do some things so that's why anaesthesia intensive care became the thing for me. The next question is why do you like it? What is it about ITU you enjoy? Um, So I've always enjoyed looking after sick people so I've always enjoyed um, um, acutely ill sick people looking after them so uh, when I was a physician I particularly enjoyed cardiology I enjoyed the looking after sick sick patients with cardiology. I enjoyed renal when people were sick with renal failure. Um, I've always enjoyed procedures. So of all these things I've always enjoyed. Mm. Uh, and intensive care allows me to do that all the time. Um, but more than that, it, it's, um, it's, it's partly that, but it also allows you to be a bit of a generalist, which is quite nice. So you, you look after patients with medical, with surgical, mm. with other problems. Um, 
you get to work with a lot of people in the hospital, which is unusual in modern hospitals. So you get to see you work with lots of different people. Um, and you get to work with a great team of people. So you get to work with a, a big team where, um, um, so in our, our intensive care unit in Sunderland, we've got 90 plus nurses, um, oh, 12 yeah. consultants, um, a load of other health professionals as well. Um, so a big team of people, which I, I enjoy doing as well. Um, and what do you find is the hardest thing about your role? So I think, it, um, I think it, that's a difficult question um, because um, looking from the outside, then I think people would say um, dealing with death would be the hardest thing. Yeah. Um, because even in times pre-COVID, and obviously we're, we're recording this in the um, at the end of the at the end of the surge, um, we still had a twenty-five percent death rate on intensive care. Mm. Um, and so um, uh, there isn't many specialties. There aren't many specialties, I suppose, where um, where twenty-five percent of your patients. No, no, I hadn't, I hadn't actually clocked it was that high normally. Mm. Um, so that's, a, that's a fairly normal mm. intensive care sort of mortality for people Gosh. admitted to intensive care. Um, I suppose that that is that is a difficult thing. Yeah. Um, but it's what we do, so it's it's almost the new normal. And one of the things I think you 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 need to do when you when you're training is get from where you are to where you need to be in terms of what normal is. Mm. And so getting used to that and, and that being something which you deal with is mm. is part of the training. Mm. Um, and so um, as a trainee coming into intensive care, that seems it seems that everyone it might seem that everyone is blasé about it. Well, that that is not the situation. It's mm. just that that is what we do and yeah. therefore you need to develop a certain amount of ability coping ability to deal mm. with it um, so I think I think dealing with dying is, is a is a is, is a big is a big part of what we do mm. and is a difficult part of what we do um, and I think I think that's probably where we where I would mm. say is the most difficult part of it so young people dying people dying unexpectedly and is, is always a is a, is a is a shock and I think yeah. that most people would say was difficult mm. um, so, a bit of a change in tone. Yes. Sorry, <laughs> um, one eighty here. Um, would you rather every time you buy something, you have to passionately declare your love to the cashier, or there's a bouncer at your door, at your front door, who won't let you in unless you beg for half an hour? I think I'd beg for half an hour. No, no, Just reduce your yeah, time to the house. Absolutely, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> I guess it's sort of the difference between making a, a scene. Do you do you live uh, somewhere sort of where there's lots of nosy neighbours, or is it? We've got we've a reason about nosy neighbours where I live. Yeah, I'm not too bad. Okay, I guess like it's quite a lot of people at the shop when you're yeah. trying to buy your bread. I guess the neighbours would get used to it, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's Mark, Mark and his bouncer again. Isn't it? Um, whereas the shops, it'd be a fresh experience every time, um, <laughs> unless there's just one cashier that you picked every time. Just anyway, we'll move on to think about kind of spe- trainees coming into your specialty um, what would be your advice to any juniors rotating into ITU so I suppose it depends when uh, when they're coming into intensive care um, if you're coming into intensive care as a foundation doctor yeah uh, which um, obviously this your uh, series is aimed at people who are, are fairly fairly junior and uh, new to new to medicine um, I think one of the things people people have are very scared of the whole intensive care setup, so that they're scared that they're going to suddenly um, be asked to manage the ventilator, or the tube's going to fall out, and they're going to have to put a tube mm. back in, 
or um, they're going to be left in charge. Um, well, I think I can reassure you that wherever you go in intensive care, that um, the possibility of letting the foundation doctor do any more than the odd procedure and um, some admin is pretty slim to start with. So mm. there's no there's no worry that you're going to have to be doing all the sorts of things. I think the first thing is is don't panic, Captain Manning, as we say. Um, mm. With the with the the COVID thing we've just been through, there's been a lot of um, uh, redeployment of people into critical care. So we've had a lot of people redeployed, um, mainly from anaesthetics, I suppose, mainly from anaesthesia into into critical care to do to do critical care. Um, and even those people have never really um, to to a great to them, apart from I suppose in some uh, hospitals in London where there's been a massive surge. Um, most places, the, the people who are fully trained in anaesthesia have been coming to critical care and they've, they've not been asked to run the whole place. Yeah. Um, so, so one, don't worry. Uh, yeah. Two, um, we'll get, we've, got, you know, we've got you back. One, don't worry, we've got you back. Two, um, um, you probably won't be able to make that many decisions often because you'll be, you'll be um, supported all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, we have a very sort of consultant-heavy presence within mm-hmm. critical care. Um, and don't necessarily worry about that. Don't worry that you you're not doing. You think that you're not doing anything because you you're not being able to make the decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 make you're a very valuable part of the team. But even though you can't make those decisions, and yeah. and um, I suppose thirdly, don't worry if the nursing staff go behind your back to ask questions of the of the <laughs> senior doctors. Okay. It's just the way of things. It's just the way things happen, right? Yeah. Are, are there any specific sort of uh, skills that you think? Uh, really valuable for people to either develop or to think about developing whilst they're on an ITU attachment, even so, if they're not going into that as a career path. Yeah. So I think I think the the um, the, re, the the patients we admit and why we admit them is something you could you should be thinking about. So if you uh, uh, although you it depends where you work and what part in the team you and where you work in the pathway. Mm-hmm. As a junior member of the team, you're unlikely to be the person who goes out to the ward and mm. scoops patients and makes decisions about whether they come in or not. Mm. That's almost certainly going to be somebody more senior. Mm. But I think knowing which patients come to the unit mm. uh, allows you that when you're back on the ward and you see someone mm. who's sick and you wonder whether they would be somebody who intensive care would be able to, would be able to potentially yeah. benefit, you can look back at your experience within critical care mm. and, and maybe think, well, yes, no, um, and also something about urgency. What is urgency, and, mm. and what, when you need to when you need to get somebody quickly? Yeah. Um, thank you. That's uh, some really sort of uh, helpful advice, and hopefully, um, I'll just think about so we target this at uh, fifth years and F one, F twos. At the moment, I think like ninety percent of our audience is Julie Stewart. Okay. Um, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, at least of the, of the last uh, week, I think she said she's been listening through it all. So <laughs> shout out to Julie Stewart, uh, if you're listening. Um, but uh, thank you, that's really, really, really helpful um, advice. And hopefully, um, yeah, for anyone anyone out there who's going to ITU, that answers some of your questions. Um, maybe, one, maybe one more thing. Yeah, so yeah. I think, um, so as well as, as, well as uh, referrals, how referrals should be made, I think, mm. is, a, is a useful thing. So knowing, knowing what we're interested in. Um, Okay, and yeah. so I think um, if you've been on critical care and you'll have, you'll you'll hear and see what we why, how we make decisions mm. and how those that information is vital. Mm. So um, things like fully independent, 
what does that mean? Mm. What is what is somebody's normal? What is their background? What are they what are they not what do they normally do? Mm. The time to get that information is not at three o'clock in the morning when somebody's really poorly. Mm. The time to get that information is when you're the foundation doctor clerking somebody mm. in on the way through. Then you've got time to ask them. Mm. Do they have do they have help? Do they can they get up a flight of stairs? You know, what how limited are they and what are their views about what they would want if, if things got, got badly went badly mm. wrong. So I think that sort of um, what all the information is really vital and it's, it's something that um, you'll see when we're in critical care that a lot of that a lot of our decisions are based around people's pre-morbid function mm. um, and so um, when you're the when you're not in critical care knowing what we want is, is, a, is a, mm. what we need to know is really useful actually just we can always edit this out if uh, it goes completely horribly wrong but um, we've got a few minutes left on the clock as it were but um, uh, can we have a go at trying to hand over a fake patient, as it were, and seeing? Absolutely, yes. If, why not? Give, if, it give, it give, 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 give some it feedback about sort of what information you'd like. And what, okay. Yeah. So I'm just going to make this up on the spot. So, ring, 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 ring. Hello, I'm a doctor on cardiology. Um, I've got a, a, a patient, a 70 year old patient, uh, who's got an exacerbation of their heart failure. Uh, they've had a background of an MI two days ago. Uh, they were fit and well beforehand uh, and lived with their partner with no help with their ADLs. Uh, now they've got a low BP, not sustaining a systolic BP of greater than 90. Uh, and I'd like a review for uh, consideration of ITU for cardiovascular support. So you want some information about their background? So I think I think to start, go back a step potentially. Yeah. I suppose I think if you are the doctor on coronary care and you've yeah. got somebody who's got uh, bad heart failure and is hypertensive and yeah. is effectively in cardiogenic shock, yeah, um, I think that you are you're dealing with somebody who's got a probably about a seventy to eighty percent chance of dying in hospital. That's right. What, that's what you're looking at. Isn't it? Mm. So um, I think you, you the first thing you should be thinking about is um, before you even think about running critical care is. Am I the right person right here, right now? Mm. Um, and so um, I w- I'm more than happy to take a refill from anybody. Mm. Um, and but and there's a but coming up. So normally when, we, when somebody says but, it normally means ignore everything beforehand <laughs> and, and only listen to what afterwards. Yeah. Um, um, and the but here is that if you're looking after somebody that's sick, how long have you been doing it? And should you have got somebody else beforehand? Yeah. So from a from a... Um, foundation doctor, fifth year medical student mm. this, uh, point of view. Um, if you're worried, you probably should have called somebody beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get that out. Let's get out that that then yeah. sort of in the in the in the mix first of all. Um, I think the in terms of the in terms of the communication and what what you want. Mm. Um, it depends who you're ringing. So you 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 probably will end up ringing the, the, the resident on the intensive care, and the mm. conversation might go slightly differently. But if I picked up the phone when that happened, um, um, I'd want to know um, what what you want from me right now. So it's a fairly terrible handover. So please feel free to yeah. uh, to tear it apart. Yeah. So no. So I think what I, what I want what I, what I what I want to yeah. know when you when you pick up the phone is what do you want. So, so I guess I want I want someone to come and assess this patient. To see whether they would be suitable for ITU is that a, is that a sensible? Sort so of I think I think that's not a reasonably sensible thing to to somebody needs to assess whether this patient is suitable for um, mm. 
uh, would be would be somebody who would benefit from critical care. Yeah. Um, that doesn't necessarily always need to be critical care. Mm. Um, and so it may be that one of your seniors can come and call on and and say, look, I've known this patient for a long time. Mm. They're they're really poorly. That's that's mm. not. But I suppose the the information that in the handover has to be something along the lines of, um, I'm really worried. They're hypotensive. I think they're peri-arrest. Mm. Can someone come? Or I want to have a discussion around what's happening. And so yeah. that that early on in the in the conversation about what's what you want is probably right. most important. So yeah. So so and it's I'm guessing it's a better situation where possible where we can have the discussion before things are hitting the fan, so to speak. Uh, almost always. So yeah. it's almost always better to have. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I think if you one of the going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of um, uh, what you can learn as a foundation doctor on on in critical care, I think some of the things you can see is you can see you can learn good practice and you can learn from bad practice as well. Can mm. you can learn that I won't do it that way. Yeah. Um, and so um, you'll have all you know the, if 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 you've been qualified more than a week, you'll have had the go and get organise a scan uh, request from somebody. Um, <laughs> You go down to the scan, and the first question the, the radiologist asks is, "Why do you want the scan?" And you mm. don't know the answer. Um, it's a difficult place to be, and the same thing goes with referral to critical care. So, if you if someone tells you to refer this patient to critical care, and you don't know why you're doing it, then the, you've got to ask the question first of all. Mm. Um, so, to, in terms of your in terms of your uh, when do you have that conversation? Mm. Then earlier is is always better than later. So. Mm. Trying to refer somebody when they've got no blood pressure and they're peri-arrest is, is very difficult. Mm. Better to have that conversation earlier. Yeah. Better to have the conversation with somebody who knows the patient. Best to have the conversation who knows the patient, but not only right now, but knows some background to the patient and knows what's yeah. going on. So those conversations are, mm. the more information you have, the better placed we are to, mm. to have a conversation about what the patient wants. So not only the patient's physiology, that's... Mm interesting but not necessarily the most important thing so it's actually yeah so it's it's the it's this overall story the the much more holistic picture of a patient rather than necessarily like a snapshot view yeah so i think that the the um the 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 a miscon a miss um a uh, misplaced view of critical care is it's all about the numbers Mm. it's about making the numbers right and it's about the physiology Mm. um and yes we, we we mess about with the numbers. We we put the blood pressure up and down. We make the heart rate faster and slower. We make the urine output mm. bigger and greater. We 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 obsess about the potassium and the bicarb and the mm. lactate and all. Yes, absolutely. Um, but much more important than that is the story, and yeah. the, and the patient story, and the history and and all those things. So you gain a lot more from knowing the history about the patient than you do from the news of thirty. Um, yeah. So having that background and the information around what the patient is like normally. Mm. is vital so the 70 year old with heart failure the 70 year old who has um, who's come in yesterday having been previously fit and well and like having, an acute, and having acute yeah. myocardial infarction yesterday who has had a STEMI who has, who's had a stent and is now in crashing pulmonary edema is somebody who may very well have had just a stent occlusion maybe somebody who we could support to go back to the cath lab to remove that stent and that be fine yeah the seventy-year-old who has been um, unwell since his mid-forties with uh, alcoholic cardiomyopathy and um, what have you know whatever whatever that is who is who is um, 
deterioration has been gradual over a period of a year, mm. that's a very different situation, isn't it? So the story is yeah. is vital in terms of what we what we what we decide to do. I think, and this might not be the right thing to do, but um, in practice, as a junior, what I would probably tend to do is ring the med reg or the consultant if I think that someone's probably not suitable for ITU. Mm-hmm. And then if something is acute and I think ITU would be appropriate, then to ring both of those people at the same time. Okay. I don't know if that is uh, the right go, thing to be doing. Going back to, your, going back to um, what I said before, I think I would, you in critical care would, would are happy to take referral from anybody in the right time the, the, if, it's, yeah. if there's a problem. Um, so I listened to one of your episodes previously when you talked about escalation and escalation mm-hmm. decisions. And um, one of the things I listened about was how you were all ringing each other but not going up the lap up the tree. Mm. So there's a lot of um, I'd ring the SHO, I'd ring the med reg, I'd ring the SHO, I'd ring the SHO, I'd ring the surgeon, yeah. I'd ring the SHO, I'd ring. Yeah. And um, if you um, if you learn anything when you come to critical care, it's that you should ring the boss. Yeah. Um, and that um, that is what that's what I would want. In, yeah. in if I was if I was uh, if I'm on call. Yeah. Um, I don't want to come in in the morning and found that my SHO is wrong, the surgical registrar and the medical registrar and all those people about somebody who's sick. I want them to ring me. Yeah. So um, I think the 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 issue of escalation and who you call is very difficult to 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 uh, describe and to teach mm. because um, it depends. There's so many. It depends on it that it's 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 almost impossible to give you a scenario for each situation. Um, so yes, if you're in a hole and you can't, um, you ring your boss and there's no answer. And you know that I'm in, then ring me. Okay. If you're in a hole and you ring your boss and they are less than helpful, mm. um, we'll we will put the patient first and we'll help you. Yeah. But the principle that you should get help from your own team and your own team should be involved and is probably not a reasonable one to to start with. Um, as a general, most most cases and in the vast majority of times, mm. that works pretty well. I think. Mm. But not be not be afraid to call out to you is the bottom. No, one. I think um, do not be no, absolutely not. Great, that's really really helpful. Um, thanks for for uh, humouring us on that one. Um, <laughs> that's all. Um, so uh, my final question for you uh, is: um, Will we ever see the beard come back again? Well, interesting, isn't it? So the um, for those of you who are watching on radio, and this is a great conversation for radio, yeah. um, <laughs> he, um, uh, Phil refers to the, my facial hair that disappeared uh, about a month ago. Which made you almost unrecognisable. <laughs> <laughs> um, quite a few people I walked past in the corridor who I've known and worked with for several years. Um, the people who know me for a long time knew me pre-beard. Um, so uh, the beard went so I could wear an FFP3 mask in, yeah. in intensive care and not get, uh, not get COVID myself. That's why that's why the beard went. Um, I don't think that uh, COVID will go. I don't think it's a thing that get, comes and goes. And so I think that the the new normal will be changes to infection control. So I think the beard might have to stay away until I until maybe I stop doing clinical medicine in a few years time. Changes to infection control and changes to facial hair. Absolutely, is yes. our new normal. <laughs> the new normal, yes. Goodness me. Well, um, thank you so much once again, and we'll uh, close up. Uh, have you got the? Thank you, Majig.